Hey Mary, are you ready to have your mind blown by a new, old literacy teaching approach? Lay it on me. I'm ready. This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge podcast. This is episode 22. Hi, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for over 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and choosing just right activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, I'm Mary Sagafi. I'm a reading tutor and a dyslexia advocate. I have taught in all elementary grades and I have Orton-Gillingham training and have been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for 10 years. I love talking all things special education and beyond. I believe that humor goes a long way when asking students and teachers to do hard things. I'm excited to share with Shannon today and learn along with all of you. Okay, so this whole episode, we are going to be talking through a research article that I was introduced to during a recent staff development session, and it's an article from Educational Leadership. It's actually an older article. It's available for free online. So what you might want to do, I know a lot of you listen when you're in the car or on the go, but if you have a chance to go to the show notes and click on the article and print it and read it or look over it as you're listening. I think you'll get more out of the listening experience, but we will share the quotes of all the things we're talking about. It's a very short article, only about five pages, but it is excellent. So the article is called Why Phonics Teaching Must Change. And again, it was published um, by Educational Leadership uh, Magazine. And the author is Janine Heron. And Alanis Marset would say, isn't it ironic, because it was written in 2008, which is 11 years ago, and the phonics teaching has not changed in those 11 years. And so... Um, I'm shaking my head over here, people. <laughs> right? I'm shaking my head. And this article, um, we agreed with a lot of the things it said, and then it sort of pushed us to do some new things in our reading as well, and it described reading in the brain and... Um, why students struggle with reading, gave some interesting techniques. And so we just really wanted to sort of have a professional learning session with all of you going through this article. I think you'll really like it. So um, I'm going to start with the very first sentence in the article, okay? And it says, phonics instruction can become more engaging and effective if we teach students to write words before they read them. Yeah, so writing words before reading, which goes totally against the decoding that we keep preaching about. Teach your kids to decode, decode, decode. That's the typical practice. That's the typical practice. And the usual curriculum in the schools. Right. Well, it seems like if you're going to teach kids to read, then you need to put the word in front of them and have them do that. So this article really is going to force us outside of that comfort zone, and we're going to work on spelling words first and um, really focusing on the listening to the sounds, making sure that the sound symbol correspondence is already solid in the brain. And um, her recommendation is working with young readers as much as possible um, 
to really start introducing this encoding process. So a lot of times I use encoding and spelling interchangeably. So you may hear me do that. Decoding is reading a word in front of you and encoding is the opposite of that. And that is um, sounding out a word and then putting the letters on paper. All right. So uh, the art, the author of the article references a lot of great research and a lot of great um, reading researchers. And she starts off by um, referencing Louisa Motes. Um, Who we love. Yes. And what Louisa Motes said was that one of the most fundamental flaws found in almost all phonics programs, including traditional ones, is that they teach the code backwards. I underline that a lot and put a lot of exclamation points behind it. That is, they go from letter to sound instead of from sound to letter. The print-to-sound phonics approach leaves gaps, invites confusion, and creates inefficiencies. And so then the author of this article said, if her words were taken to heart, then phonics instruction today should focus on students constructing words before trying to read them. Okay, so I want to throw back this because this is the part that really blew my mind. And that first Louisa Motes quote is from 1998. So we're talking 20 years ago. (laughs) And um, really, a fundamental flaw in phonics programs, um, I think that you know, a lot of publishers will give you a lot of materials and things like that. And so it's easy to, when you're creating curriculum and even creating lessons, if the um, curriculum already has things like this, it's almost easier to pull the materials. And sometimes when you're doing your lessons, you're like, okay, I got to get this in and I got to get this in and, and you're not organizing it. So one of the challenges that we have is, okay, let's, let's challenge ourselves as teachers to really listen and take heart some of the um, researched instruction that they're talking about here and working on the sound to print instead of the typical print to sound um, or conventional phonics. Right, because the brain, um, evolutionary speaking, the foundation of reading is speech. Right. And the reading that is taught um, to center in the brain must be built on the foundation of speech. And so you mentioned sound symbol correspondence. And so what comes first? The sound. The sound. Then the symbols. But a lot of times we teach symbol sound. Well, you've heard me say this before where we're hardwired. Our brain is hardwired for speech. We weren't hardwired to learn to read. Evolutionarily speaking, you have to be taught to read. You don't have to necessarily be taught speech. Um, It's just something that's hardwired into your brain. So um, that's one of the big things that she's she's talking about. So what does pronunciation have to do with reading? Um, Well, everything really, because it's the way that your mouth forms those letters. And once you get the sound in your head, then you have the letter correspondence that comes with it. And in kindergarten, you're taught all of the letters and sounds, and there's all kinds of phonological um, awareness activities that we're doing. And then we attach those Graphemes, which we'll talk, we'll talk more about later. Graphemes are the written um, symbol for the sound that is produced. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I think one of the reasons that I found this article so interesting is because she also references Sally Shaywitz, who is one of the gurus of dyslexia um, research and um, probably like the top person who has explained 
dyslexia. She has a center for Yale, um, or at Yale, there's a center for dyslexia. Oh, I remember you talking about her Mm -hmm. in those other episodes. We've referenced her in the show notes. Right. So her big thing is that she was able to do some work and do some functional brain imaging. So it's the fMRI, the functional MRIs. Um, And when they're doing that, they notice that typical readers, they store the elements of what they are working on in the left hemisphere of their brain. And so it connects the new visual experiences to areas that are already devoted to speech and comprehension. So a lot of times organizing is happening on the left hemisphere of the brain. So then they've also done a lot of studies with dyslexic students and the dyslexic learners really need to receive intense phonemically based interventions. And that's what I've been talking about throughout the podcast this season. Um, And that improves the activation and it tends to move the information into the left hemisphere of the brain once those students are given this specific explicit instruction. Um, And so we want to look to, so when they do those functional um, MRIs, then they can actually see that the brain is changing and the functional um, images that they're getting actually have made those people's brains change and function in a different way. So they're more efficiently processing in the left hemisphere of the brain. And that's with phonemic awareness? Um, It's with phonemically based instruction. So it could be phonemic awareness, yes, but it actually is all phonics instruction. And so it's just making it a little bit more efficiently processed. Okay. Yeah. And even just for all learners... They, she references in the article, she says, how do you remember a phone number? Well, we don't really remember phone numbers right now because they're stored in our phone. But <laughs> back in the day when we had to memorize phone numbers, what did we do? We said them out loud to ourselves. And repeated them, right. Yeah, we activated the speech, the pronunciation, yep, and that put it in the brain. Not looking, looking at that phone number is not going to help you memorize it. Yeah. Oh, that's so important. So when you need to memorize something, you rehearse it. You say it to yourself. You've got this verbal rehearsal that you do so so instinctively like we know that the speech is important but we're not always putting that in practice when we're teaching reading right because working on encoding feels like teaching writing and spelling yeah but actually it's connected it's all it's all connected um the only other part that i really want to emphasize is that early reading instruction can profoundly affect how the brain organizes information and so if you're noticing that there are students who have weaknesses in their reading skills then they will probably have weaknesses in their spelling skills as well Um, and if you suspect dyslexia then you can um in my opinion bet your bottom dollar that you're also going to probably see some of these issues even with my fifth graders and i also have a fourth grader that i'm tutoring um they are very strong readers right now and their decoding skills are really strong but their encoding skills are still so weak and they really would benefit so much from a lot of this explicit instruction Uh, so i have actually revamped a lot of my lessons to incorporate some of these techniques so we're going to talk about them now Okay, but we're also going to give an example of what decoding and encoding looks like. Oh, yeah, good, good point. Yep, we okay. need to make sure. So just so we're really clear of kind of what the typical approach is, mm-hmm. which is usually decoding, and then what it would look like um, as an encoding approach instead. Okay, so let's say that we're going to read an unfamiliar word. The word is cat. So um, the reader would go through this whole sequence and decode 
um, moving from print to speech. So sounding out cat. Yep. So you're going to look at the first letter C. What sound does it make? And you're going to say, okay. Great. Now we have to do the next letter. A. Now T. Okay, we're going to blend them together. I'm going to make it multi-sensory, and we're going to blend it on our arms. So at your shoulder, you'd say K. A. Now you're going to move it all together. What does it sound like? At. Does it sound like a familiar word? Cat. cat. If the learner successfully pronounces cat, then he or she will finally recognize that the meaning is, oh, it's the word cat. So that's how your brain kind of goes through the whole decoding process. Now let's contrast that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty. I've done that when I've been prompting students, you know, reading a decodable text and or... Um, a text that's at their instructional level in a guided reading group. So I'm going to go back to my boy Rigby who gave me some really sage advice the other day, which was please stop telling kids to just sound it out. Yes. He was talking about this. He just didn't realize it. He's so smart. Okay. (laughs) So let's contrast that with encoding approach. Okay. And so let's say a student is trying to write about their pet cat. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, um, they know a few sight words and they're trying to write a story. And so they might say, uh, you know, they might start writing, I have a cat. Sure. Okay. And so they'll say, oh, how do you spell cat? Well, we're not immediately going to just give them the letters. Mm-hmm. Okay. What we'll say is, all right, you want to spell, what word do you want to spell? You want to spell cat? Okay. What sounds do you hear in cat? What does your mouth do? At the beginning of that word, what is your mouth trying to say? Oh, it's saying k at the beginning, okay? What letter would you choose from the alphabet to show that sound? What letter represents that sound? And then they might they might say k, or they might say c, and you could encourage them. Yes, you know, sometimes we use k, and sometimes we use c. In this case, for cat, you use c. Mm-hmm. All right, so what sound do you hear next? After the k in cat, what do you hear? Let's take apart the sound, the word again, k. Ah, you hear ah, that's one of the vowels. What, you know, what letter would you use to show the ah sound? Right, so then they write their A, and and then they go into the next part. And they would write their, and then what is the last sound you hear? What is your mouth doing at the very end when you're saying cat? What is that last sound you hear? You hear a t. Oh, yeah, the T makes the T sound. Very good. Okay, mm-hmm. so let's look at what we wrote. Or if you're using letter tiles, you know, well, let's let's piece them together. And then you decode what you wrote. Right. That's when the decoding happens at the end. at cat Oh, yep, I wrote the exact word I wanted to say. I used the letters. I chose the letters that I wanted yep. to use to represent those sounds. That's encoding. I think the key part of that is that the pronunciation and the meaning are immediately activated and that that part is so essential and it can happen you know inside the brain or it can be something that they're whispering out loud and that all of that is really important but um the thing that this this research paper talks about is that that's activating the left hemisphere of the brain because it's activating speech first so we know that that will become then it becomes more automatic when they want to access it. So I I do really like this approach. Um, There are several points here about why decoding may be less than ideal. So I wanted to touch a little bit about that. So remember, I did the decoding piece at the beginning. Um, So the the first part is that the visual processing is activated first. And um, what 
what Motes and what Shaywitz say is that pronunciation actually happens first, then meaning, and then a visual structure. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. So the the way that our language processes is actually in reverse if you're teaching the decoding first. So that actually moves... You're fighting against the brain. It is, because it's in the right hemisphere. Your visual piece happens in the right hemisphere. So you really want to activate your speech part first on the left hemisphere. So that's the first part. And then um, you're retrieving the knowledge of the alphabetic code. So that's letter-to-sound associations. And that's deconstructing the word that's been written by someone else. So it's also counterproductive to, you know, getting the meaning of the word in the middle. Um, right. Right. So so that it's still a little counterproductive. And then sometimes there are words that have more advanced rules or spelling rules or they break the rules of the spelling in English. And so if you're trying to learn the alphabetic principle and you're learning irregular sight words at the same time or an irregular spelled word, that can be confusing um, Cause then because there's to, so many they're exceptions. They're trying to retrieve all these rules of sounding out a word rather than yep. a, a to, um, thinking about the, yep. the sounds themselves. And then I think this part is the most powerful piece. The instructional activities tend to be divorced from meaningful experiences with the text. Mm-hmm. So we spend so much time doing exercises, visually analyzing things, those words are unrelated and not as meaningful. So when you're using text that is maybe appropriate for the learner, it may be boring. And that kind of gets into the reading wars whole big fight about things. You want the the literacy that you're approaching to be rich and vivid and exciting for your learner. But if you are approaching it in a right hemisphere way instead of activating the speech part. If you're doing a read aloud, that's great, but that's a very different skill. So um, they're saying that these activities that typically teachers tend to do, they don't elicit joy of personal construction, which I think is kind of cool. They reinforce dependency on the teacher rather than independent learning. Right, but when the kids are inventing their own spelling and seeing that they are choosing to communicate through writing yep. that really eventually helps them develop the connection that when you read you're reading someone else's words mm-hmm. and it's a it's a it's a two-way kind of communicate it's a one-way form of communication yeah it's it's so interesting when you read about this you're like oh that makes sense but i've been doing it backwards a lot of my teaching career so i'm just going to own up to that fact and sometimes when you learn better you do better so i'm in a um literacy community on Facebook and sometimes uh, there's threads about bashing words their way Mm. and saying it doesn't work and we have plugged the words their way um, assessment before because I actually adore the phonics assessment Um, but sometimes if you only do the word sorts and word their way Mm -hmm. and you're only looking at that spelling pattern or how the sounds are changing or um, the outliers and you're not connecting that word sort to their writing and their spelling right then it is just sort of meaningless decoding and that's then it would seem more ineffective so the teacher sort of has to bridge and connect all this for the student yeah um or or use this encoding approach first and then the word sorts would be more meaningful later because okay well you know, yeah. we've been talking about what letters you use to show the long A sound. Well, now let's look at different ways the long A sound is shown. 
It's with AI, it's with A consonant E, it's with AY. Yep. Let's see if we can kind of come up with some rules when we notice all these words we're sorting. I also think that, um, you know, if your kids aren't ready to write really rich sentences yet, you can have them fill in the blanks, but they can also come up with like, uh, sometimes when I'm working with my students, they tend to be really strong with their language skills. And so we'll be talking about a word and I'll say, okay, put it in a sentence for me. Well, the sentence can be oral. That's fine too, but they've already encoded it. They've already talked about it and we can even extend it a little bit more too. So all these things are, they're really important. I think the other thing that, um, I loved about this is that you can't forget that there can be meaningful interactions with text. So like with words their way, you can do that assembling letter tiles or using a keyboard or a magic slate or, um, a pencil or air writing or all these other multi-sensory techniques that don't just have to be writing in a journal. Mm. I think that it is powerful for kids to use paper and pencil, especially in the lower grades. Um, but also there are a lot of other ways, um, you know, to engage kids in actually writing and forming the letters. So that, that part is important too. Don't forget that. Um, I also love the part where she says that these activities are empowering because it gives students um, the ability to master the code to write any word. I, I love, love that. I love that phrase, mastering the code, I underline yeah. that too. So even if they don't spell it perfectly, somebody can still usually read it. And that's the part where you start, you know that your kids are taking uh, and applying what they're learning. And this shows that. Exactly. Yes. And you can read their invented spelling and gain a lot of knowledge about what the, it's. It's like a glimpse into their phonics, right? Um, and they're it, both important skills. Like we can't say that encoding and decoding are not both very important skills. They are, but we want to make sure that um, that they are actually doing some decodable work yes. when they are well, the, <laughs> that we can decode. She says that on the next paragraph. So mm -hmm. she says, practice with encoding enhances facility with decoding. They are two halves of the same learning task. Yes. And I mentioned this on a previous episode, but I want to go um, in a little more detail with it. So one of my most struggling readers, Tony, in my class this year. Mm -hmm. oh, I love these stories. He asked me uh, when he was writing a sentence, um, which letters make the ch sound? Mm -hmm. And he wanted to write a word that included that sound. And so that was encoding because he was asking what letter choices could he use to um, show that sound yep. so that it would be communicated on paper. And so now when he sees that CH grapheme in words in our guided reading text, he's decoding them better mm -hmm. he, without me emphasizing as much. So the, he is showing transfer. Okay. And I had taught, before he had asked me that question, I had taught the, ch the CH whole group and small group but he forgot because it wasn't really meaningful to him. Mm -hmm. But when he needed to use it for communication and to spell, that's when he finally learned it. And that was the encoding. Yep. And maybe like this article said, if I'd started with the encoding first, it wouldn't have taken as long. But I started, I taught it decoding first. Yeah. I, I find this part to be so interesting. I love, so the next part, of this article is how instruction should change. And you all have heard us preach, preach, preach about phonemic awareness skills and how important this is. That has become our most popular episode. So I don't, I'm thank so you glad. for sharing that episode with your colleagues. Yes. And we will, you know, revisit even deeper later, but I'm glad that we're 
starting the conversation about how important well, I, or encouraging the conversation, not yeah. starting it, of um, why phonemic awareness is so important. Well, and this also bridges to your older students more clearly, too. If they don't have the strong phonemic awareness skills, then they're going to have a really hard time breaking down these words and actually being able to... Yeah, they have to blend and segment the sounds to be able to write them. Exactly. And so, you know, that that's that's why this piece, I think, resonated with me so much. And I have really prided myself in the last couple of years, you know, making a lot of progress. My kids are reading on grade level. However, their encoding skills are still so weak. So I have really ramped up my phonemic awareness activities and I'm using um, the Equipped for Reading Success by David Kilpatrick, which is great. And he also has a lot of activities that you can do in his little mini lessons, either small group, one-on-one, even large group. But um, one of the ones that just spoke to me, he has about 24 activities that he um, discusses and and talks about the importance of. So in addition to the phonemic awareness, you also need to um, use some orthographic mapping. And so this kind of like is exactly what we're talking about. One of his strategies I love is called oral decoding. And so the teacher actually spells the word out loud and then you have the students recognize the word based on the oral spelling or um what does that look like so you would use a flash card and you would keep this flash card in your hand and you would say your word is s-p-r-i-n-g and so the kids then need to not look at it they're going to visualize it and so I can either do that by stating the letters, or I can say my word is sp-r-i-ng, and actually segment it for them. Okay. And then they are going to recognize those words. So that's just one quick activity that he has in here. There are there is a number of other ones, um, but his the one that I loved was introduce words orally first. He says before introducing a new word, discuss its oral properties to prepare them to map the oral sounds of the word before the letter string forms to printed words. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's making sure that that they're pronouncing the word slowly and carefully so that they can then map what it looks like inside their heads. So and these the are mapping for, is segmenting? The mapping is segmenting and also creating that automatic knowledge of the letter correspondence in their okay. brain. So... Um, it it's typically, I mean, it can be done for first, second, third kindergarten nurse. But um, for me and my kids, I think that it works really well with older students. After I've already used a really strong Orton Gillingham approach with them, okay. because Orton Gillingham is, it also uses a lot of encoding techniques. But I have found that they were not as strong with my students. Um, just in particular, this and the fourth grader who are very bright, very strong um, with their verbal skills. They started reading because they were really good at predicting the text. So as long as they could decode, their comprehension skills took over. So I have found that encoding is a little more challenging for those kids. So, um, Okay, so let's jump back into our article. Yeah, so the article, the last part of the article... um, is seven different um, to-dos or Mm -hmm. not-to-dos. That's a good way of describing it. Yeah, to um, try this approach. And so the first one says, de-emphasize the names of the letters Mm -hmm. and instead emphasize the sounds. And um, 
I was just telling you that one of my new students, she's brand new to America. She's an English language learner. And she was working on some phonics activities with me and practicing the letter sounds. And she said, Miss Betts, do we use the letters when we talk? And I thought that was such a deep question. Yeah, wow. How do we use the letters when we talk? And so then I was explaining to her that the letters have a name and a sound. And that, you know, we call them a name sometimes when we're spelling a word out loud or something. But that we use the sounds to, you know, help us know how to spell them and to read yeah. them. I had to use this a lot, actually. I had a particular young student who was with me for a couple of years. And he had the hardest time with the names of letters and the sounds. The, both of them t- were just too much. He just... I don't know. It, it was an issue for him. And so we stopped giving letter names and we just started giving sounds and really working on the sound symbol. And the name can come later. Because, yeah, it's it's not as important. So um, the other one I was kind of interested was um, stop counting phonemes. I've done that before. Like, I've you know, oh, let's use unifix cubes and see mm-hmm. if we hear three sounds in this word or four phonemes in this word. And she yeah. said not to do that necessarily Um, i think that there is a time and a place for it so i would i would cautiously approach this one i mean if your kids are it it really depends on the developmental level of your Mm -hmm. kids with this so um the next one is have students pay attention to their mouth movements now i'm in strong favor i do that i have a ton of mini mirrors and we focus on mouth a lot i'm always making them watch my mouth and yeah show their mouth and what is it doing when i'm doing beginning sound sorts with pictures or ending sound sorts yep and um i love this she says um Explain how mouth string sounds together like beads on a string, which I think would be such a good visual for your kids, too. How your mouth can kind of like make them, um, it, it flows really easily. And speech, a speech pathologist who's in your school would be a really great model to help you model this for your students, yes. too. Um, they're always my best friend when I go into schools. Um, and I do love the next one, too, is systematically teach one way to represent the basic sounds. So there's thousands of encodable words to work and sound out, like even big words like fantastic. Um, And those, you can hear each of the basic phonemes in that. So I I do agree with that. You can hear each of the f-an-t-a-s-t-i-k. So especially words with blends. Yes. Those are always good. Yes. Uh, the next one, she says, avoid having students copy sentences because they're not as meaningful, but having them invent the spelling and choosing their own words is really going to accelerate their learning so much faster. As a teacher who has a, had a number of kids with dysgraphia, I am definitely in favor of this. We, yeah. Yep. So the next one is um, move beyond visually identifying blends and digraphs. So Uh, She says, some curriculums have teachers write a list of words on the chalkboard and then ask for a volunteer to identify a consonant blend in each of the words, and the 19 children wait, and then somebody finally figures out that in the word flip, there's an FL, and that's a consonant blend, and I really, in the beginning of this article, she talks a lot about how there can be a lot of wasted time in the classroom, and I think that's sort of what she's really honing in on again here, is that kids can be... Um, doing all of this information uh, 
more independently and you need to maybe you don't need to do this as a whole group right. lesson. So maybe that student is wanting to write um, a, you know, a sentence or a story about a flower. And so then you can encourage the blend at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you say flower, what is your mouth doing at the beginning? It's saying the f- they usually will get that initial consonant. But then what is your mouth doing immediately after? Fl- and you can kind of overpronounce it so that students can see what your mouth is doing. Right. And say, oh, this is a blend when I can, you know, the cons- I can hear each sound. I'm saying them together, but I can still hear each sound. Yep. Yep. Um, the last part is um, analyzing sounds. And so she says, when students ask how to spell a word, then the reply should be to sound it out. Right. So instead of when reading, instead sound it out. Reading, sound it out. Spelling, sound it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's good. Um, and then the other part, and Shannon was so good, if you haven't listened to this previous episode about irregular um, sight words, they should be introduced to spelling words and then also the outlaw rules. And so... I think to teaching students just the, the concept that there are rural, there are words that are outliers that have letters that don't match the sound. Um, immediately when kids realize that, you know, not mm-hmm. every word is regular and easy yep. that just frees them up to try other strategies yeah and uh, to I analyze agree. words a little bit differently yeah i think that that's true um it and and then that's when your resources come into play where you have your word wall and you have your word dictionaries and things like that that's well the person who introduced me to this article actually introduced me also to another concept um instead of having a word wall to have a sound wall oh and Instead of just saying, oh, go look at the word wall and see if you can see that word up there, but say, oh, go to the sound wall and, um, Interesting. you know, what letters would you choose to show that sound? And so I have not implemented one in my classroom yet. I've kind of, it's percolating in my brain about how I'm going to do it. But yeah. I have seen um, some teachers on Instagram start posting some of their sound walls. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. So we um, are about out of time, mm-hmm. but... Please go to our show notes. We're linked to a few extra episode, um, resources, but mainly just this article. Read it. Maybe share it with some colleagues. Read it with open mind and think about your own instruction and what you're doing in your reading groups and what you're doing in your literacy instruction. And are you encouraging encoding or do you have more of a decoding approach? And what would it look like if you started to do this more right I had um in addition to Tony I have another student that reading group Paul and he is so intelligent okay he knows so much science and um social studies facts and I think he watches like National Geographic all night long (laughs) and he knows a lot about the world and he can analyze things but he has a really hard time reading and it, his reading abilities do not match his intelligence. He sounds like a buddy of mine, doesn't yeah. he? <laughs> and so um, he's not been diagnosed with anything. That's just what I see in the classroom. And I have been doing a lot more of my reading group time to writing. Mm. And so we have been reading our LLI text, um, and which is Fountas and Pennell's intervention um, guided reading program. And after we've been reading them, I've been having the students write a lot of sentences or, you know, respond to the text. And he, at the beginning of the year, I was providing spelling with him because it was frustrating him so much to try to do invented spelling. But I have I've stopped doing that, and I'm not giving him the spellings of anything. And I'm saying, 
you need to come up with this word. It's okay if it's not spelled correctly. I need you to choose letters to show those sounds. And we've done a lot of phonemic awareness, so he can segment the sounds. Yeah. And so he has gotten faster with his spelling, and he's now writing sentences and not waiting Mm. for me to tell him the words. And he is progressing through the guided reading levels faster now. That's awesome. So we were stuck for a while on the same guided reading level and couldn't go up. And now he's moving through the levels and advancing. And I think it's it's because of this encoding. I because love he's it. doing so much more writing and he's constantly saying, oh, yeah, maybe I need to put, you know, how do I show this long vowel sound? Or, oh, I need to show this short vowel sound. Or I need to show the SH. Or I need to show the CH, you know. Yeah. I need to show these sounds. I should be saying the sounds and not the graphemes, shouldn't I? But anyway, I should be shh and the ch and the A sound and the S sound. And he's using those in his writing and spelling. And now he's decoding better. That's awesome. The encoding has facilitated the decoding, just like it said in this article. So try this in your class. To see if we can get some listener feedback um, about this. If you have already maybe read this article and have implemented it, or if you, um, you know, have seen some success and you have implemented something similar, uh, or if you are just trying it out on your own, let us know how it goes. Parents, too. So if you're helping your child write a thank you note, or if they're wanting to write a little note to you, or working on their homework and they ask you how to spell a word, your response should be, sound it out. Mm-hmm. Have them, what sound do you hear first? What sound do you hear second? What sound do you hear third? What letters would you use yes. to represent or show that sound? Well, I'm so glad you reached back out to parents with this one, because that's really key. That's true. Um, and you'll see their reading advance, just like we're starting to see it. I think at home when they can apply, you know, typical school things at home, when you do it outside of the school setting, it makes it so much stronger. So for sure. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And please write a review on iTunes if you've been enjoying us. We appreciate that you are listening and getting your colleagues to listen and share. Um, but we also want... Um, new listeners to be able to find us on search and so if you could take a little bit of time on the weekend and write a short review on iTunes that would really help other teachers find us and we'd just like to thank Jordan Kemker for the music and Allison Zane of Fruit Creative for our artwork and we'll check you guys listen next time thanks